speak with a, speak with you this morning about Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30 that we read, uh, and I want to talk about simply two things. Uh, number one that you see in verses 25 through 27, that is the sovereign will of God and salvation. And then the second thing in verses 28 through 30 uh, is rest for our souls. Two things I want to speak to you about this morning. So let's just uh, look again at the first part, if you would, verses 25 through 27, and we'll, we'll read those again. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Father, Jesus is saying, is revealing these things. Notice that in verse 25. It's these things. Uh, Jesus is referring to, obviously, what was going before in chapter 11. That is, the Lord's coming. He's talking about John the Baptist preparing the way, who is Elijah, and the Lord coming, and he's doing miracles, and these miracles are supposed to bring them to repentance. All of these things about the Lord's coming, these things, Jesus is saying, thank you, Father, that you've hidden them from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Now, in the world today, typically, it's just kind of generally understood that it's the smart people or the people with intelligence who know stuff. That's just a generally understood, right? We even spend years and years and years of our lives just going to school to know stuff. Um, and it's the little children who just by the fact if they're three... Through no fault of their own, they're, they're growing, they're developing, but they don't know a whole lot. And you can even hide things from children, right? Because we're the adults, and you know, if you're at home at night, I, I don't have, we don't have children. Uh, Lord willing, we will one day. And, but I can, I can imagine you have children. I think all of us can imagine you're at home, and it's probably about uh, 7 o'clock at night. Uh, and the, your child probably knows when you say... It's time to go to sleep. They kind of hear that word, and then they probably start kind of crying or running around or saying no or something like that. So what will you do to hide it from them? You'll probably look at your spouse and say, in an hour, we're going to go to S-L-E-E-P, right? And you can hide it from them because you can't because we're, we're the adults and we can hide things from them. What the kingdom of God is doing is it's flipping the world upside down. Jesus is saying, Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the smart people, so to speak, and you're revealing it to the little children. So it's as if in your home, the little children know everything, and we as adults don't know anything uh, by design. And now, obviously, I don't think here it's the Father's hiding things from the smart people and the five-year-olds he's, he's revealing to them. What, what would he mean by that? Because he says, I'm, I'm hiding it from these people, but revealing it to these people. It's those who uh, respond to Jesus, right? It's the ones who just reject Jesus and say, no, I'm smart enough. I can do things on my own. Uh, Jesus is coming along doing all these miracles, and they're just rejecting him. They're smart. They're smart. They're wise. 
Uh, and then you've got these people in the crowds who are coming to Jesus with childlike faith. Like a child, they're trusting in Jesus. And so it's, it's these ones who are trusting in Jesus that the Father is revealing these things to. And it's these people who are wise in their own eyes that He's hiding it from them. Notice the reason why he does so in verse 26. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Literally, yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing before you. That, that's the reason. That's the reason why he is doing this. Now, I said I wanted to talk to you about God's sovereign will. So when I say, well, what do I mean when I say God is sovereign? Notice what Jesus calls the Father in verse 25. Lord of heaven and earth. That's what Jesus thinks of when he thinks about God the Father. Lord of heaven and earth. So when we as a church declare, God, you are sovereign, we're saying everything in heaven and earth belongs to you. All of the earth belongs to God. When we leave church, it's just not like God's over this building. When we leave and we walk on our farm, the, the, the property that our house sits on, it belongs to God. He's Lord of heaven and earth. Which why it doesn't make sense to come to church and like if your kid does something and just say, we don't do that in church. It doesn't make any theological sense because when they go out to somewhere else on the planet... That belongs to God too. It's His as well. We wouldn't do it here, which is, this belongs to God. We wouldn't do it there because that belongs to God too. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He owns it all. He's sovereign over it all. And so He does these things because it is well-pleasing before Him. It is the reason, it's the basis of all things here. We see this exact same thing. I, I want you to flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1 as well. This same word about it being well-pleasing to God. We have it gracious will in verse 26. We have it said in a kind of different way, but it's the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. This is talking about all of God's spiritual blessings and salvation. In Ephesians 1, 5... Paul says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And you say, why? Why would he do this? According to the purpose of his will. Literally, according to the pleasing, the pleasure of his will. So it's the same, that same word of just being well-pleasing to God. It, it, it's good for him to do it. It's well-pleasing to his will. Why is he doing this? It is well-pleasing to him. Now, not only do we see that the Father is sovereign in salvation, but we see that the Son is sovereign in salvation. Did you catch verse 27 when we read that? About Jesus saying, nobody knows the Son except the Father, nobody knows the Father except the Son. And then he ends by saying, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That word chooses there is another sovereign term. The Son is sovereign. He's choosing in the world whomever He wants to reveal the Father to. He's coming as God the Son 
And he's saying, whoever I choose to reveal to, these things to, I will reveal these things and the Father to. This word choose here is the same word, for example, when Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 resolves to divorce, divorce Mary quietly because he didn't want to put her to shame. And when it says he resolved to divorce her quietly, resolved, same word. He's choosing to divorce her. That's what he was going to do. Same word here, what the son is choosing to do. When Pilate in Mark chapter 15 just wants to appease the crowd, it's just what Pilate wants to do. The Jews in John 18, it was what the Jews just wanted to do. And you can go all throughout the Bible and see people doing things, and when we do it, it's just what I wanted to do. And we don't have a problem if, well, why'd you do that? I wanted to do it. Why? My life. I wanted to do it. We shouldn't have a problem if the Lord of heaven and earth, if something within heaven and earth, God says, that's what I wanted to do. The whole basis. The whole reason. That's what I wanted to do. And so the Son, we see, even the Son is sovereign, saying anyone that the Son chooses or wants to reveal the Father to, He does. Now this is striking that in verses 25 through 27, we see all of this sovereign language. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He hides things. He reveals things. It's because it was pleasing before Him. No one knows the Father except when the Son chooses to reveal Him. You see all this sovereign language in verses 25 through 27. And then right in verse 28, Jesus looks and says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's striking in verse 28 after all of this sovereign language. So what I wanted to do without... I'm not a philosopher. I can't explain to you all the philosophical implications of God doing as He pleases in His own world. But I can say that this is the revealed Scripture. And God is declaring to us that God does as He chooses and as He wills and what is good. And what He does is good. And when we think about this, I want us to think... When we look at 25 through 30 as a whole, we need to avoid two extremes. Okay? Since Jesus turns in verse 28 and says, Come to me all who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need to avoid two extremes. There's the one group over here that's going to say, typically they get a bad rap, like being arrogant or something, but they're just going to say, God is sovereign over it all. Period. That's all they're going to say. God controls it all. He's going to do as He wills. We might as well just sit here and go home and eat because God's going to do it. Here, there, there's that extreme. Then there's the other extreme over here that says, everybody come to Jesus. That's all you need to know. Everybody come to Jesus. Verse 28, come to Jesus. And that's all I'm going to say. Come to Jesus. Do you see the two extremes on the both ends? But what is Jesus doing? Jesus is holding them both, both up for us. He's holding them both up for us and says, I'm sovereign. What do I choose to do? Everybody who is heavy laden, weighed down by sin, come to me. You see that? He's holding them both together. So we don't need to go to either extreme to ignore one or the other. We need to hold them both together. And therefore, we need to let the philosophers philosophize too on how that works. 
But as far as a church and what we need to hold up as our doctrine, what do we believe about salvation? When we're listening to Jesus, we're going we're gonna to believe them both, which the second thing that I want to say about this to kind of help us with this sovereign language is we have to take the words of Scripture very seriously. Once you throw out one word of Scripture, you might as well throw out the rest of the book. Because if you just say, well, I don't like that word, pluck. There's no logical reason why you don't disregard the entire Bible. We have to take every word of Scripture seriously. No matter if it rubs us the wrong way. Doesn't matter. Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth. And he's letting us know what's going on in this world. And he's going to say things. Jesus says a whole lot of things that rub us the wrong way. Jesus talks about hell all the time. And, and it's, I mean, it's difficult enough just to read that in the room and, and, and wrestle over it. Much less wrestle over it as a church. But, but just because we can't figure something out or wrestle with it or it's hard for us to understand, there's not one word that we have the authority to just throw out. Right? Thomas Jefferson didn't have the authority to cut and paste his Bible. He, didn't have the, he was president of the United States, but he's not Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't have the authority to cut and paste the Bible. No one has the authority just to kind of take away uh, any words of Scripture. So we, so we have to humbly take them very seriously. Third, don't be tricked by incorrect appeals to the Greek. Right? So what's going to happen? Somebody's going to come along one day and they're going to say... Uh, Jesus chooses to reveal the Father. Well, you know, the Greek word is boulomai. And boulomai usually means this. And so what you think it means, it really doesn't mean. Because the Greek says so. Don't be fooled by somebody who knows some kind of Greek word. Okay? Why, why is it that you don't have to be fooled with that even though you've never sat in a Greek class? Because even the Greek students, do you know what they have to go by? Context. Everybody's got to go by context, whether it's English or Greek. So if you look at the context here and of God's will, what do you think God's will is referring to here? Whether it's bulamai or thalamai or baloney, I mean, whatever the Greek word is, the context controls whatever the Greek word is. And the context clearly is Jesus giving people spiritual rest for their souls. It's clearly a context of salvation. So whatever Greek word somebody throws out there, you as a church are equipped simply by the context that you see in English. You don't have to be fooled anywhere in the Bible by somebody who knows Greek or Hebrew. Whenever you hear a preacher say this, Pastor Gary, he's going to give you the correct Greek, okay, when he doesn't appeal to it. But if somebody like appeals to a Greek and you're like, oh, I don't think that fits. If it doesn't fit in English context, it doesn't fit in the Greek context either. So just don't be tricked. When somebody doesn't like a doctrine, so they explain it away by some mysterious language called Greek. Um, you don't have to be tricked by that. Fourth, use this as a building block. I like to think about learning theology as a building block. So you take this passage, and it's the first block, and you do a bunch of building blocks. So you say, okay, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking about the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of the Son. And now later on, when I hear Pastor Gary preach about the sovereignty of God again somewhere else, 
Hint, the next one coming up is the end of Jude, the very last verse of Jude. It's going to come up again. And so when you hear Pastor Gary preaching these different passages and it keeps coming up, what you want to do is you want to do building blocks, putting them all together. So instead of trying to figure out everything at once, say, okay, got it. Matthew 11, God is sovereign in salvation. Okay, Jude chapter, Jude verse 25, Pastor Gary preaches it, okay. And start putting them together, right? And so use them as building blocks uh, as Pastor Gary preaches you to you week after week and kind of put the pieces together uh, like that. And finally, for this, the last thing is that this sovereignty of God is a comfort to the children and it's a warning to the wise. I think one of the things going on here. It comforts the little children, those who are trusting in Jesus, it's a comfort to them. And it's a warning to those who are wise and over themselves as if we didn't need Jesus. Because remember, all things have been handed over to Jesus. Uh, we do need him. Next, I want to look at verses 28 through 30. Let's, let's read that again, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I was talking to my wife uh, the other day. Everything's the other day for me, by the way. Like, if it was like five years ago, it's the other day. Um, and I was like, well, we're talking about work here, right? Those who are, you know... Those who labor and are heavy laden, probably most of you around here, you work very hard, you're like, I got this, Alex, this hard part about working hard. I, I, can, I can understand Jesus here, definitely. Um, and I was like, okay, well, i got to have a story uh, about work. So <laughs> one day, uh, when I was in college, I went home for uh, January break, for the winter break. I went home, so I'm in college in Tennessee, I go home to Alabama, and you know, I, I, I'm a poor college student, so I just need a job to make some money while I'm at home. Because I'm just sitting around in January. So I'm like, Dad, you know, uh, can you help me out? And Dad's like, yeah, I got this friend uh, that he's got a shop at his house. So, so my dad's friend, uh, you got his house. And then beside his house, he built this huge shop. And, and then uh, he has utility trucks. You can fit like two utility trucks inside the shop at one time. Uh, and he builds them uh, and then sells them, sells them back or whatever he does with them. He says, I got a friend. I worked with him for years. And that's kind of his, his side job that he does. I can get you, I get you there working in the shop, uh, sweeping floors, sweeping the office floor or something. Um, you know, uh, and I was like, great, I'll do that. Remind you, my dad told me I was going to sweep office floors. Well, I get there, and so I'm thinking, so I've got my football sweatshirt on. I've got my, my cool jeans. When I say cool jeans in college, you remember the little fray uh, strings that, that are on the end of your jeans that kind of fray off, like the whole... The whole, cup, the whole end of it. Yeah, I had those jeans on and my tennis shoes. Okay, so it was a cold winter day, so I had my sweatshirt on. It said, it said, it probably said like corner football or something because I was, because uh, I was on the football team in high school. I know, I really was. <laughs> so I had the corner football, you know, sweatshirt. Um, I was not the kicker. I played something else. Uh, and so, so you know, here I am. I'm like, hey guys, I'm thinking I'm gonna sweep floors. Well, I meet my dad's friend, and he says. He says, yeah, uh, he walks up to three other guys that worked in the shop, and he said, uh, you're going to work with this guy today. And he says, hi, this is Alex, Donnie's son. He's going to work with you today. And I'm like, I thought I was sweeping office floors. 
you know, mind you, I've never worked in any type of job that you've probably worked in in your life. Uh, you know, I read a lot and work at Target. And so, <laughs> and so I'm there, and it, it's cold, and we're like all bunched up by a heater, you know, a little floor heater for the shop. Uh, and so we're all bunched up there before we get to work. It's 8 a.m., cold January day, and I'm sitting here with all these, you know, three other grown men. I'm in college, I'm kind of, you know, and I obviously aren't, it, I'm not as big as them. Three grown guys, and hey guys, and one of the guys looks at me and goes, tomorrow you might want to bring some boots. I'm like, okay. And, uh, and then he says, all right, let's get to work. Within the first ten minutes, okay, of work, I have a blowtorch in my hand. <laughs> and mind you, I've never done anything like this before. I've got a blowtorch in my hand, and I'm cutting off this bolt off this truck. And sparks are flying. All I've got is some glasses or something that they gave me on. Sparks are flying. Well, what was it? Remind you, what was I wearing again? What would catch on fire? Those sprays off your, my cool college jeans. And so all of a sudden, you know, and I'm, I'm intense. You know, I've never done this before. So I'm like scared. And I'm focusing. And I'm like halfway cutting through this thing. And I hear in a distance some other guy going, you're on fire! <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, so I'm stomping my foot out, so like my, my ankle's engulfed in flames. Right? And, you know, and so I'm a little, you know, and so I'm, stu- I'm trying to get it out while, while I didn't know how to, I don't know if I knew how to turn it off. <laughs> I'm trying to kick this thing off. And then I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And then thankfully that my partner that I was working with was a really nice, cool guy. He's like, that's okay, Alex, no problem. And so, so then we go, and, uh, and then, of course, my, my partner, who's doing most of the work, you know, I'm kind of like being his helper, uh, as if, you know, he, him telling me, you know, hey, here's how you use it would have helped me. Um, and then, so he's working on the truck. He says, hey, Alex, go get like a 4 8 wrench, crop, 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 trip. what's it, what do they call it? Socket. wrench. Anyway, he said some kind of wrench. And he says, go, go, go get one of those. And so I walk over to this wall of tools, Okay. And I'm like, okay. I kind of look at these tools, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And it's as if this would make me look better, I just grabbed one. <laughs> Is this it? It's like, no. The, the 4-8 wrench or something. Like oh, okay. And so, you know, so I'm intellectually just embarrassed. I don't even know, you know, embarrassed now. I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> so, obviously, I didn't learn any of And then... You know, later on in the day, you know, I'm just kind of hanging out, you know. Uh, I, I'm looking over the, the, the truck that was next to ours. They were welding. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I'm just sitting here staring at the welder. Oh, that's real cool. Yeah, it's real cool to stare at a welder as he's welding. Uh, so my partner's like hitting me like, Alex, you're not supposed to look at that. Um, and then the same guy who saw that, he's like, oh, hey, here, let me teach you how to weld. And he's like welding, and he's, and he's like, you do this, and you do that, da, 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 da. Here, you try. No. <laughs> no way. So, like, I have to, like, refuse to use this welder. So I'm just, there were other dangers. Uh, I made it eight hours that day, and, uh, you know, and of course, go home, and I'm just, you know, I'm, my hands are torn, I'm exhausted, you know, I feel like an idiot, you know, and I have to walk up to my dad who got me this job, and I'm like, Dad, I can't go back to that job. Uh, you know, my mom's like, look at your son, don't make him go back. Uh, and so, now, it would have been absurd for me, after eight hours of working and laboring, that was labor for me, I, I, was, I was quite exhausted after that day, I'm glad I didn't hurt somebody. 
that it would be absurd for me to say, you know what, I'm good to go. I'm good to go for day two. You know what, 5 p.m., let's just keep going. Let's just work through the night, you know. Just keep going through the night, and then let's work tomorrow. Uh, you know, I don't need to go home and sleep. Uh, let's just keep working and working and working and working and working and working. Um, I'll be fine. Right, you, you, you can't actually do that, right? Um, you, the, there was only one thing I could do, is go home and rest. That was all I could do after, after, after that day. And Jesus here in verse 28, he's saying, All who labor and are heavy laden, okay? If we say, I'm good, Jesus. I'm weighed down by sin day after day after day. I'm good. I can just keep on sinning and keep on living life. I'm good. That's about as smart as me being at that shop. Just being, I'm good. I'll just keep working and not going home for, for resting. No, we are way, so weighed down by sin, and Jesus knows we are. So he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Just like the only option I had was to go home and rest, Jesus says, the entire earth, weighed down by sin day after day, I am offering you rest. Now notice the rest that he's offering here. In verse 25, it said, at that time Jesus declared. In chapter 12, verse 1, it said, at that time Jesus went. These are connecting these sections, okay? At that time, verse 25, at that time, 12-1, connecting these sections. If you read chapter 12, do you know what it talks about? The Sabbath, okay? It talks about the Sabbath, and Jesus says in verse 8, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is declaring himself, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Which if you're reading Genesis, you're connecting dots going, that's a pretty big claim. If you read Genesis, and God resting in Genesis... And giving rest. And then Jesus coming along saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So you have all of this Sabbath controversy. So notice within all of this Sabbath talk about God giving rest, Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Spiritually. Spiritually speaking, you're weighed down by sin. Jesus knows we are. So the difference between a wise person and a child is do we know we're weighed down by sin or not? And when we do, Jesus says, come to me. Notice how he says it. When, he said, when he, Jesus is pointing to himself about giving rest, he says, verse 28 through 30, come to me. I will give you rest. My yoke, take it upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. In the context of the Sabbath, who does Jesus point to? See that? See who he's pointing to when it comes to the Sabbath, Sabbath rest? Now, what we do today is people did it back then too. They kind of make these do and don't list for Sunday, right? Right? You can't do this and you can't do that. You know, back in the day, I mean, a couple thousand years ago, they were talking about you can't travel for business. Uh, on the Sabbath, and you can't do this, you can't uh, you know, you can prepare your food beforehand, but all you can do is eat, all this kind of stuff. And today we have our list of what you can and can't do on Sunday. Um, we can't eat Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Um, it's very sad. 
<laughs> you know, you can't, uh, you can't go hunting on Sunday. You can't go fishing on Sunday. Uh, we have these kind of these do's and don't lists. But what is Jesus saying about the Sabbath? Or about later would become the Lord's Day. Uh, what is Jesus saying? What is he pointing to? Is Jesus pointing to a list of do's and don'ts? Is that what Jesus in the whole context here is pointing to? No. He's, just pointing, he's pointing to himself. He's saying, come to me. I will give you rest. Come to me. Now, what I'm about to say um, is probably, probably the thing I, I want you to get, get the most today. Um, now, first, I want you to assume that coming to church is just assumed for God. You read Hebrews chapter 10, God assumes you're coming to church. Hebrews chapter 10. So, what I'm about to say, don't, don't go home and say, Alex said we didn't have to come to church. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, it, God assumes it. Hebrews chapter 10. But what I want us to get today from this is this. We can rest in Jesus even after church today going hunting. You can go hunting this afternoon or fishing. I'm going to go to Target. Work. You can do that this afternoon and rest in Jesus. And do exactly what he's saying right here. Come to me. I will give you rest. The flip side. You can be here today in a building Sunday after Sunday and refuse to rest in Jesus. You could come your entire life to this building and say, I reject the rest that Jesus offers the world. Put a whole new spin on the Sabbath, right, and Sunday. The point, Jesus says, is come to me. I am the point, Jesus would say. Come to me. I will give you rest. The issue is resting in Jesus. When you know, you say, I know I am weighed down by sin day after day after day. How do I get rest? There is no other rest other than going to Jesus. John Calvin would teach we are not at liberty then to turn away from Christ unless we choose to reject the salvation which he offers to us. There is no other source of eternal rest. There is no other source. Now today, if you say, Alex, for the first time, I want to rest in Jesus. What do I do? Jesus says, come to me. He's not right here. He just he says, come to me. Right? Spiritually speaking. Come to Jesus. So go to Jesus and say, Jesus, in you I take my eternal rest. I, I know I'm, 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 I know I'm weighed down by sin. I take my rest in you. So if you today haven't yet come to Jesus, you've come to church, but you haven't come to Jesus, today come to Jesus for your rest. Now, that's simple enough, right? That's salvation, by the way. Simple enough. But you might ask that pesky question, okay, what now, Alex? What next? Okay, so I've decided to follow Jesus and I'm saved. What now? Very simple. Jesus will elsewhere in Matthew say, number one, be baptized. That means you come up to Pastor Gary, you come up to him today, 
You call him on the phone, you go to his house tomorrow and say, Pastor Gary, I trusted in Jesus for eternal rest. I want to be baptized. Talk to me on how to be baptized. You identify yourself with the one who gives rest and be baptized. And then, secondly, notice Jesus said, learn from me, which later he'll talk about obeying his commands. So for the rest of your life, you're saved. You commit, I'm going to follow Christ. What he says goes, he is Lord, and the rest of my life, I'm going to follow him and help others know this rest. I'm going to use my, uh, uh, my resources, my job, my time. I'm going, to, I'm going to work with my family, and it's going to all be for Jesus. Some, some of us need to make that commitment, whether it's a commitment to be baptized or a commitment to say, you know what, I'm trusting in Jesus, and so for the rest of my life, everything is His. Remember, we start with, He is Lord of heaven and earth. We have to make mental, heart commitment and realization that everything, everything in life is His. Amen. It's all His. It's all His. And so I just want to leave you with two questions. Uh, first, will we commit to taking every word seriously? And secondly, is there anything in this world where we are trying to find rest when it is only found in Christ? When I have uh, our musicians come and Pastor Gary come and you respond as we sing.